I know. Yeah, so close. <laughs> Just make sure that my phone is on, on yeah, silent, because Hector will call me. Men's meeting for guys that are going to the retreat. If you're not in the 101 class, immediately following this service, uh, Bob is going to be right in here, Bob? Right where I'm standing. So please stay, and it's just to sort out the details of getting down there and that kind of thing. So guys, if you're going to the retreat, just hang around after the service for a few minutes. We're in a series called Building Blocks. It's talking about building blocks to a life. <laughs> Anybody else? Guys? <laughs> Building blocks to a, a life of faith. And the goal is transformation, right? To be like Christ. That's the journey that, that we're all on. That's what it means to be Christian. That's what the word Christian means, is, is to be like Christ. You know, we live here. We're American, right? Canadian, Australian, Texan. You, you talk about someone, oh, they're a real Texan. You know, they've got the heart of Texas in them. I, I was thinking about this. In England, we're ish. We're just not quite sure yet. We're English. Yeah, kind of ing. A little bit ing. Yeah, we're not sure what we are. We're ish. But to be Christian is, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is to have this image of what a fully devoted follower of Christ is. This is the person that I am aiming to become. You know, this is a person who loves God's word. They're in God's word. They're, they pray. It's just part of their life. They're mission-minded. They're, they're thinking about advancing the kingdom of God. They're generous. They're, they're loving. They're in Christian community, and they're doing the work of the Lord, and, and, and that's our destination. That's who we're seeking to become, and it's in our spiritual DNA to become like Christ. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, so all of us who have had that veil removed, all of us who can see clearly is what that means, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. I can see him. I'm a reflection of him. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So there's this image of Jesus. It's fully devoted follower of Christ. That's the goal. That's where I'm going. That's, that's, that's what I'm aiming for. And, and our destiny, our destiny is to be like Christ. But here's the deal, folks. It doesn't just happen. There's an intentionality about it. We have to pursue our destiny. I love this quote from, from William Bryan. He was a, a lawyer and a politician at the beginning of the last century. And he said, destiny is not a matter of chance. It is a matter of choice. I like this. It's not a thing to be waited for. It's a thing to be achieved. And that's why it says in Philippians 2.12 that, that we are to work out our salvation. We are to work our salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that we are saved through works. We are saved through Jesus Christ. Destiny, destination is assured. It's all about here to there, the journey from getting from here to there. You know, it's, it's like the young person that says, yeah, I, I'm going to be rich and famous one day, and I'm going to sit here at my gaming console until that happens. Uh, no, 
There needs to be an intentionality about it, and there needs to be an intentionality in our Christian walk, making the best of the journey. I know where I'm going. I know the destination. Actually, destiny and destination have the same Latin root word. But now I'm embarking on this journey. That's what building blocks, that's why they're so important. You're the first building block. I say this every week is beginning the relationship with Jesus Christ, entering into a a love relationship with Jesus. That's step one. And most people in this room have begun that journey. Maybe everybody, probably a lot of people that are watching online. That's step one. That's the first building block. But that's only the beginning. Then there's trusting in his word, trusting in his promises. He's given us his love letter. You know, I've been studying the promises of God. I'm going to share just a few with you this morning. You know, and, and there are so many. I think I've got like 80 or 90 listed out so far. So it promises about comfort and peace. John 14, 27 says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. It's like, thank you, Jesus. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Promises about God's provision. You must serve only the Lord your God. If you do, I will bless you with food and water. I will protect you from illness. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. What a wonderful promise, eh? There's promises about guidance. Psalm 37. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble... They will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. That's kind of my theme verse for my life. That's, that's the one that I just hold on to. Even if I'm stupid and I wander away and I stumble, he's got my hand. Promises about wisdom. Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. And he will not rebuke you for asking. I'm a little bit dumb, God. I need some wisdom. No problem. Here it is. Promises about salvation. We all know this one. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The Bible is filled with wonderful promises. Now, I don't know if you remember, we did a study two years ago, I think it was, called Transformed. And in there, Rick Warren talked about promises and premises. A promise pretty much always comes with a premise. There's the intentionality about it. So if we go back over those verses again, if we go to the next slide, you'll see... There's a, it, it's sort of conditional. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift to the, the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. There's the premise. Let's go to the next one. You must serve only the Lord your God. If you do, I'll take care of you. Next one. Take delight in the Lord. And he will give you your heart's desire. Next one. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. That's what we're talking about this morning. The steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. Next one. Come and listen. 
There's a command. Come, listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. Next one. If you need wisdom, ask. Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. Next one. For this is how God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So we've got all these promises. We've got this wonderful word of God. But in each promise, there is a direction. There is something that we are responsible for. It's an intentionality. You know, knowledge. Knowing things is just knowledge. Acting in that knowledge is wisdom. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. So we have this wonderful word with all of this knowledge in it. And when we start to put the, the knowledge that's in that book into action, we gain wisdom. And wisdom is transformative. It will change your life. And you take spiritual ground. You move forward in the process of transformation. That's what these building steps are all about. I want to talk about this wonderful word this morning, kind of dive into this a little bit. There's the written word, and there is Jesus, who is the word. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, so he existed. So the word is being personified here. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Jesus is the word, and he spoke all of creation with his words into existence. Such is the power of the word. That's why this is so important. When you read this word, you're reading the word of the word. The word spoken into existence. And I think I put in your bulletin there, Isaiah 55. 10 and 11, the very first passage of scripture that I ever learned. The rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. That is a great promise from God on his word. This is what my word is going to do. And one of the key attributes of a fully devoted follower of Christ is that they value, trust, and live the word of God. They are people of the word. In fact, the very first title that the, the, the Jewish people were given before they were even the Jewish people, they were the people of the word. They were the guardians of the word, God's word. So let me ask you a question. Are you a person of the word? Because you need to be. You need to feed on it. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 6. We're going to do just a little Bible study here. Let me just give you the background. John 6, great, just a great chapter, begins with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is up on a hill. They're across the, the lake from where they live. They're up on a hill. Got all these hungry people. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then he sends the disciples off. He says, you head on back. 
He kind of closes out with the people. Uh, and, and, and the scripture says that they were amazed at his miracles. This must be the prophet. Let's make him king. But Jesus wasn't ready to be king, so he, he sneaks off on his own up in the hills. And then we got the whole bit about Jesus walking on the water and all that. I don't want to go there. Next morning, all the people are wondering, where did Jesus go? The boats are all gone. Where, where did Jesus go? So a couple of boats arrive from another area. They get in those boats. They all head back across the lake because they, they want to chase Jesus down. And they, they have this encounter with Jesus, and there's a dialogue between Jesus and the people that is really quite incredible and worthy of a deeper study than we're going to do it today. So I'd recommend you go back and read John 6. It's really good. So picking it up in verse 25, it says, They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, teacher, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. They, they weren't interested as to why Jesus performed the miracles. All they wanted was the result of the miracle, like the food. So Jesus responds. He says, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. God has given me authority to give you life. Seek that. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Now, this is so audacious. You see what they're doing here? How do we cut out the middleman? I like the miracles. Don't like all this stuff that you're talking about. How can we just get the miracle for ourselves? Let's cut the middleman out. We don't need the Jesus guy. I just go right to God. Can you, can you give me some power? I'd like to perform some miracles. Jesus told him, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, this is so audacious. Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture says Moses gave them bread to eat. It's like, oh my goodness. In essence, this is what they're saying to Jesus. We know you did the miracle up on the mountain there, Jesus, but seriously, <laughs> Moses did that. For a longer period of time for more people. You, that, really? That's your credentials? That little bread and fish thing? What else have you got? What else have you got? <laughs> Jesus said, I tell you the truth. We do this sometimes. I, I looked it up. They absolutely misquoted the scripture. There's nowhere in the scripture where it says Moses fed them. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Moses didn't do diddly. My father did it. He was just the vessel. And I've got my father's seal of approval. He sent me, I can give you life. Sir, they said. 
give us that bread every day. It's like Jesus' prayer, right? Give us today our daily bread. So I think he's beginning to get their attention. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Now, when you're reading about the miracles, you think about the miracles of Jesus. You know, the blind can see, the lame walk again. He cures leprosy. He raises people from the dead. They're all temporary. They're all temporary miracles. Even the people that he raised from the dead, they're not walking around today. They died. The miracle in and of itself is not that important. The purpose of the miracle is to show who Jesus is. He used his miracles to draw people to him so he could tell them that he came from the Father and in him is eternal life. They were temporary, but, but they wanted the temporary. Verse 50, it says, anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. So he's foreshadowing his death on the cross. I give my life. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. So he's hammering home this strange point. They're all like, what? And, and he's basically saying, you, this is not an option. If you want eternal life, you must have me. I must dwell within you. There is no other way. He carries on, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Now, what does Jesus mean by eat my flesh and drink my blood? Is he, is he telling us that we've got to become cannibalistic vampires? Like, I don't think that's really what Jesus means here. He was using imagery. He was speaking, speaking metaphorically. These people didn't want Jesus. They didn't believe in Jesus. They see a miracle. They get fed. They, they ask the question, how'd you get over here so quick? Maybe some of the disciples said to them, he walked. <laughs> but they, they're not interested in Jesus. They wanted the temporary stuff. They weren't interested in life change. And sometimes we're guilty of the very same thing. We pray and ask Jesus for miracles. But we don't want all that other stuff. We don't want it to invade our life because it's inconvenient. Complete obedience? 
Why are my needs going to get met, Jesus? Jesus sends us a miracle, fixes our problems, meets our need. Jesus says, no. No, that's not how this thing works. If you want me, it's got to be the whole deal. The whole life-changing deal. Me and you, you and me, we become one. You serve me. You join me in my work. It's all in. All of me or none of me. It's tough teaching. So what do we do with this information? Well, there's a saying. You are what you eat. Anyone ever heard that saying? Well, Jesus is the word. And we need to feast on him. We need to feast on his word. You know, this whole year is about taking ground, living in faith, getting closer to being that person, that fully devoted follower of Christ, seeking the kingdom of God in our lives and in the lives of those around us, taking some ground. And here's the thing. If we want God to take ground in our homes, in our families, in our communities, he must first take ground in our hearts. It begins here with us. It's got to start somewhere, and it starts in the heart, and it begins with a decision. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at, Jesus. I want to start moving forward. I want to take ground. I want to become that person that you've called me to be. It's a long way from here, but I want to get there. I want to begin this journey. You know, one of the things that the elders and I are talking about is a growth path. How do you get people on a growth path? You know, you've got this image of this fully devoted follower of Christ. Well, what is that? That's a, that's a person that loves the word, right? So maybe part of the growth path, path would be a class on how to study God's word. That person is someone who, who prays. Prayer isn't just ancillary. It, it, it's in them. Part of the growth path, how to pray. That person is mission-minded. They care about their neighbors. They care about their eternity. Part of the growth path would be, how do I share my faith? How do I serve? How do I use my gifts? But here's the deal. Each and every one of us is responsible for our walk with Jesus. We are all responsible for our walk with Jesus. We can help you on the walk. And we will help you on the walk. But ultimately, we are responsible for this journey. So I've got a challenge for you this morning if you're not already doing it. Give him 30 minutes a day. Start somewhere. 15 minutes a day in the Word. 15 minutes a day in prayer. Now, some of you are going to be thinking about that 30 minutes. Ooh, that's a lot of time, Pastor Mike. So I did the math. I like math. There are 1,440 minutes in a day. Now, say you sleep for seven of them. Most people sleep less than seven, but just say seven, all right? 
That leaves you with 1,020 minutes. Two 15-minute minute periods are less than 3% of your waking day. You get 97% of your day for your stuff, and God gets 3%. That's all that 15 minutes of prayer and 15 minutes of the Word is. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm I'm not going to pull any punches here. If you can't give God 3% of your day, you need to reconsider your spiritual walk. You need to consider, what, what am I doing with you, Jesus? Am I serious about this? And here's the thing. If you give him that 3%, he will change the 97%. I want to go back to that verse that you've got in your bulletin, Isaiah 55, 11. What did God say about his word in, in the last part? It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. How often does it produce fruit? Always. There's God's guarantee to you. You put my word in your heart, it will produce fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. How much? All. God's got a plan for your life that involves his his word. He guarantees you. You get this in in your heart, this is going to happen. And it will prosper everywhere I send it. Now, that doesn't mean prosper financially. For some people it does, because God already knows if I prosper this person financially, they're going to pay to build my kingdom. They're going to use that money faithfully to build the kingdom, because this stuff costs money. It always produces fruit. It always accomplishes all he wants. It will prosper everywhere he sends it. I absolutely promise you this. If you begin to do this, you're life will change. Your life will change. You will begin to take hold of your destiny. Not just letting it happen. You're, man, you know what, Jesus, I believe you're in this process of transforming me, transforming me, and I'm starting this journey. I'm trusting your word in my heart. 15 minutes of prayer so you're using words to talk to him and 15 minutes of his words so he is talking to you. For me, the very first prayer is, God, as I read this, would you speak to me in it? Would you give me a passion for it? Would you give me a desire for it? Father, if I pray for 15 minutes, I'm going to be done after two and I've got another 13 to go and I don't know what to say. Would you show me what I need to pray for? It begins with him, it ends with him. This is the wonderful thing about it all. And it is his desire, his purpose, your destiny to be that person that God is calling you to be. All you've got to do is take hold of it and say, yeah, I'm on this journey, Jesus. I'm in. And you will be better. You'll start to see things in your life that you have not seen before. You know, I I, I shared this last week. Life is tough. Life is difficult. You're either going to go through a tough life with Jesus, or you're going to go through a tough life without Jesus. 
And for me, I want all of the attributes, everything that Jesus has for me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I want all of those things in my life as I deal with life because I will deal with it in such a way that people will look at me and say, what is going on with you? I don't know what you got, but I want some of that. Begin today. Don't put it off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your wonderful word. I thank you for the blessing of your wonderful word. All of your promises, but each promise comes with a premise. And if we submit ourselves to you, if we humble ourselves to you, if we put this word, I absolutely believe this, Father, if 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 people will give you that 15 minutes of the word and 15 minutes of prayer as a starting point, I know you will change their lives. And it won't be long before they're doing 30 minutes of prayer and 30 minutes of the word. But they need to take that first step. So Father, take away apathy. Take away fear. Take away busyness. So that we would put you first in our lives. We would seek you first in our lives. That all these things would be added unto us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a perfect day for communion. Oh, I just realized I didn't ask anyone to help.